0: Welcome back to another episode of This Week in College Viability. My name is Gary Stocker. It is Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. If you follow higher education at all, you know that West Virginia University has been in the news recently because of the troubles they have with their finances, as is the case with many of the colleges that we speak about. It was interesting. There was a story uh, from Morris Batalniak, uh, this week from a local newspaper, and it was a story that said the Association, or the American Association of University Professors last Thursday, criticized West Virginia University's plans for dramatic cuts, arguing that faculty don't appear to have been meaningfully consulted. I am reminded immediately of the story about the fox and the hen house. And to think that the American Association of University Professors would ask for faculty involvement is kind of like saying, oh, this is breaking news. The sun comes up each morning. And let me just offer an analogy. It's it's not a perfect analogy, but it's one to think about. Automakers don't ask workers which cars to make. Restaurant servers don't tell the chef what foods to make. The customers do. And I know that higher education is special, and in some ways it is. And I will grant that, in general, faculty have substantial knowledge in their disciplines. But do those skills really include the skills and experience to determine customer needs and read student demand? I think an argument can be made there may not be any expertise there. There's certainly a vested interest, and I'm guessing that's what the American Association of University Professors is lobbying for, They want in on the game. I'm not sure their message is the one that is appropriate. And I'm going to read something. This is from the press release from, again, Laura Spitalmiak from August 18th. And it says, under AAUPs, academic freedom standards, colleges must meaningfully involve, and that's in quotes, meaningfully involve faculty when deciding to discontinue a program or department. It goes on. They must also make their decisions based on educational considerations. I paused for dramatic impact. I don't even know what that means. Maybe AAUP should form its own accrediting agency. They're all about dotting I's and crossing T's. I just don't see how their vested interests serve the business and financial needs of colleges in general in the 21st century and in this particular case, West Virginia uh, University. Questions, as always, send them to me. Uh, questions, comments, concerns, challenges. Email me at gary at And let's go to Lakeland College. And I believe this one's in Florida. I have to check my data. August 31st, from the university press, press release, Lakeland University. Lakeland to offer bachelor's degree at Blackhawk Technical College. And as I read this article initially, I realized that the folks at Lakeland use a lot of big words for a university that can't even graduate 50%, that's five, zero percent of its students after six years. Let me say that again. Lakeland, since 2014, hasn't graduated even 50% of its students after six years. What kind of business are they running? We can go to the data like I always like to do, and their admission yield, my indication of of popularity, is down 27 points. Tuition and fees are down $4 million. Let's go back to the words they use. They use words like visionary initiative, groundbreaking partnership, transformative alliances, and higher quality education for our community or their community. I would humbly suggest they start being transformative by graduating more of the students they already have. And this is yet another example. And you've heard me talk about this before. In what appears to be the endless efforts of colleges to do business via public relations, via PR. And while it's almost certain that some number of students at Lakeland and the community and their relationship partnership with Blackhawk Technical Colleges will get some successful students. No question, some will take advantage and work, but from a business perspective, it is almost certain that Lakeland and the other participating colleges will drive nothing close to having materially significant or new materially new materially significant net revenue to add to their coffers. And I got I got to come up with a phrase, a catchphrase to describe this business by PR model. If you have any suggestions, send them to me at Gary, G-A-R-Y, at collegeviability, that's one word, Gary at collegeviability.com. There's a book out from many years ago called The Tipping Point, And I'm going to reference that in the story that comes from the New York Times, and that was just this week, and by the reporter Paul Tuff, T-O-U-G-H, and his headline reads, "Our Americans." Are, or his, his headline reads, "Americans are losing faith in the value of colleges. Whose fault is that?" Now, of course, this is not a new story. We have seen that many times by different reporters, different agencies. That's not new. But here's why it's important. Whatever your beliefs about the New York Times, they're a big boy. They're a really, really big boy on the block. And when they start talking, when they start sharing with their readers concerns about losing faith in the value of college, that's a big deal because it continues and probably more rapidly moves us toward that tipping point. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the same old facts that you've heard previously, but this tipping point is is, is that moment in time when some combination of news events and college closures and public perceptions Hit an awareness level where it becomes increasingly accepted that the industry is in deep doo doo—that's deep trouble. The New York Times article just adds significant public awareness to that fact. An interesting part of that article, though, that I want to make sure I'll, I'll include the include the link to the story in the, in the show notes is they did they, the author Paul Tuff, referenced three researchers at the Federal Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Uh, Mr. Lowell Ricketts, William Emmons, and Anna Hernandez-Kent. And they surveyed the the impact of, of college on income and wealth. And I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Income continues to be significantly impacted, positively so, by going to college. But wealth, not so much. And again, I'm going to let you look at that on your own. But the details of the story are important because it, again, continues to build that case that the college of 2023 is not like your father's college of 20, of 2000, or your grandparents' college of 1980, or whatever the case may be. One other time, one other organization, CNBC, is also jumping on. The higher education is in trouble, bandwagon. And earlier this summer, they had a story. And I'll again provide the link in the show notes. and the the headline raids on their YouTube video, why more and more colleges are closing down across America. The tipping point is out there, folks. Is it this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? I, I don't know, but it's coming. And when it happens, if you think the closures that we're seeing now are significant, you ain't seen nothing yet. We will see closures in more rapid succession Uh, Until we reach a point where the number of colleges closed and the students they release to go find another college reaches some sort of economic equilibrium where the demand for college is the same as the supply of college seats from colleges that are out there. And I want to do a couple, close with a couple of Midwestern stories. And the first one is from Southern Illinois University. Uh, The story is from the Southern Illinoisan. It's a local newspaper. And drum roll, please. If I had a drum roll sound effect, I would add that they're trying to improve their business model by public relations reasons. And I just wish some reporter somewhere, sometime, would ask these college leaders. And this is what's referenced in the story from the Southern Illinoisan. Would ask these college leaders or their public relations reps what the tuition discount is for enrollment. This is the time of year when we see countless news stories of colleges saying our enrollment is the best ever. But here's the question nobody except me asks, um, excuse me, how much of the store, what kind of tuition discount, you may call them scholarships or merit aid, did you have to give away to get those students to enroll? Tuition, um, enrollment itself does not pay the bills. I've talked about this many times. I've written about this many times. And it's almost certain that these colleges are giving away tuition revenue in the forms of discounts and scholarships to their students. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great for the students. They get a, a lower tuition price, a lower, a lower college degree price. But it's not necessarily good for the colleges. And we can make the case that almost every college that closes now is doing so because they don't have enough net revenue from tuition. And quickly to go back to Southern Illinois, uh, Carbondale, there's, there's also one in Edwardsville an hour or so away. Could anybody please ask about their graduation rates? I will, I'll give you the answer. The four and six year undergraduate graduation rates at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale over the last eight reported years from 2014 to 2021 the last data submitted to iPads, the four and six year graduation rates for four years are 30%, and for six years, 45%. I've asked it before, I'll ask it again, why, why is a college in business if they can't graduate at least half of their students? And that's a pathetically low number if they can't graduate at least half of their students in four years, and SIU Carbondale can't even do it in six. They're at about 45%. And if you want to talk about subsidies, that's fine. We know that public colleges get subsidies. That's that's not a big deal. Years of my tax dollars support that. But the operating revenue for for Southern Illinois University Carbondale from 2014 to 2021 is down 30. That's $30 million dollars. And folks, we're all living in the money ball era across many, you know, sports is where it started, but it's across many industries now, and yet I make the case that the industry with the most, arguably, the most intellectual assets is still dealing in general platitudes. We just have to wonder, is somebody hiding something, or are colleges, is higher education just far behind the times? Questions, comments, concerns, challenges... Uh, email me at gary at collegeviability.com, and I'm going to close with one last story. This is local to me here in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area, and the headline from the St. Louis Post Dispatch on September fifth uh, by Steph Kukuljian uh, reads: Webster University sued for pay for failing to pay rent at a downtown St. Louis campus. So it's seventy-five thousand dollars. So apparently, allegedly. Webster University has not paid rent on a on a facility it that owns, that's not its main campus in downtown St. Louis, for all of 2023, from January through August, and that amount is $75,000. Those of us in St. Louis who follow higher education are aware that Webster University has long had financial challenges. They've made some questionable decisions after having some really strong years. They're landlocked, and they have issues, period. So this week's story about, a law, about the lawsuit, $75,000 lawsuit, was not particularly surprising. But there are two parts to the story. And the first maybe is the most concerning, in that this is a college, Webster University, with more than $160 million in total revenue in 2021, and it doesn't pay a $75,000 rent over seven or eight months. And the amount, in perspective, is kind of like couch money. It's you know the kind of quarters, nickels, and dimes you find, you and I find in couches. That's kind of the equivalent for what Webster is not paying this landlord. And yet, the university spokesman, like most university spokesmen's do, spokespersons do, was quick to respond to the query from the St. Louis Post Dispatch that they, the university, doesn't comment on ongoing litigation. Folks, if they don't have seventy-five thousand dollars to pay the rent, that's serious. But the second part also goes back to that seventy-five thousand. It's not that much money. The company filing the lawsuit indicated it was causing them severe severe financial distress. My guess, my best educated guess, is that there's a lot more to the story, and I'm going to continue to follow it on this podcast because. Not because it's Webster University, not because it's local, because it offers, I think, insight into the challenges of a private college that really has considerable financial resources, especially when you compare it to and to many others, and yet still appears to be in financial trouble. Now, don't get me wrong, Webster University is highly unlikely, highly unlikely to ever close. However, they certainly support my vision and the research and reading I've done of what a college should have long, long, long ago done, and that's consider merger consolidation partners. Like almost every college in the country, the need to scale their business and academic operations are paramount. I think it's only even money, though, that, that Webster, based on my experience, I think it's only even money. They have the leadership chutzpah to consolidate. So, to those Western, excuse me, to those Webster University students and alums and faculty and staff, folks, be prepared for cuts. They will be impacting almost certainly staffing, and majors and sports programs and more. And not not just at Webster. This is an, this is an industry wide challenge. We will see this other places. Thanks for spending some time with me. This has been Gary Stalker with this week's edition of This Week in College Viability.